Let's open the Word of God this morning to Psalm 18. Psalm 18 is 50 great verses written by David to celebrate God giving him victory over all of his enemies. We sing it at times. It's in the Bible twice. It's in 2 Samuel chapter 22, and it's here in Psalm 18. It is full of graphic, extreme, hyperbolic descriptions of God's greatness in coming to rescue David from his enemies. It contains a verse that is my desire for you and me, and it's verse 19, and David is speaking it, writing it about himself. David said about the Lord, he brought me forth also into a large place. He delivered me because he delighted in me. And it's my goal as your pastor to help you live in such a way that the Lord delights in you. And for me to live in such a way that he delights in me. We should immediately be thinking, what can I do right now? Since yesterday is long gone and you can't do a thing about it except to repent for it, what can I do right now in these services today for God to delight in me more? Well, you can focus a little bit tighter on what is said from this pulpit, no matter who says it. You can sing a little bit louder. You can sing with a little bit more of your understanding. You can sing a little bit more passionately than you ordinarily do because David would do all those things and he wouldn't need help doing them. He did them as a course of life. It was part of his character to be passionate and to be expressive, to be intense, to be zealous about the worship of God. And so whether there's a prayer being uttered or scripture being read or a psalm being explained or we're singing a song, you can do it more intensely to the glory of God and out of delight in your soul for him because David delighted in the Lord, thus the Lord delighted in David. And we want that kind of a relationship in our walk with the Lord. Verse 19, he brought me forth also into a large place. David was the last neglected son of Jesse. His father and his brothers could hardly remember that he existed when they were looking for a son of Jesse to be the next king of Israel. But look where David ended up. And you never read about those brothers again. God brought him forth into a large place. He was the king of God's people. He had fortresses from the Euphrates River in Iraq today, all the way to the Nile of Egypt, and he collected tribute from all the nations bordering on Israel because God brought him into a large place out of keeping the sheep out in the woods where no one hardly even remembered him. The Lord made that difference, and so David speaks of it, and he speaks of it in other places, and the Lord speaks of it in other places, that I took you from living in the sheep coat and taking care of the sheep, because God raised David up on high. And so David recognizes that and gives God the glory for it. In that 19th verse, he brought me forth also into a large place. So that's prosperity and success and blessing and favor on your life. Because he delighted in you is the third part of this verse. In the middle is deliverance from enemies. He delivered me from the fear of death, from death itself, from enemies that wanted to kill me, internal enemies in the nation of Israel, external enemies like the Philistines. He delivered me. This verse packs together 
prosperity, success, and favor, and blessing, along with deliverance from your enemies and protection, and because he delighted in me. And that's because of David's practical righteousness. When God told Samuel, I don't look on the outward appearance, I look on the inward appearance, I look on his heart. He wasn't talking about a muscle that pumps blood and has valves and chambers. He was talking about the fact that David had character and commitment, conduct and thoughts, intensity and desire toward God that other men didn't have. And so by choosing to have that, and it is a choice, it's a choice that we make every day, it's a choice that we make every choice, every choice of what I'm going to think, what I'm going to say, and what I'm going to do right now, in the kitchen, right now, in my car, right now, at work, what I'm going to think, what I'm going to say, what I'm going to do, it's a choice every time to make a choice for the glory of God and the profit of his people and the advancement of his kingdom. David made those ordinarily all the time. The exceptions only prove the general rule about his life, and that's why he's the man after God's own heart, because God doesn't care about the exceptions. God knows that he paid for the exceptions through the blood of his son. He knew that David repented for those exceptions, and that ordinarily the general character of David was one of intense zeal for him. And these verses go on in a way that some do not understand. And I had hoped that in 35 years of preaching or so, about the five phases of salvation, there wouldn't be a single one in here that would even have a question. I'm thankful that we've gotten rid of some members that didn't understand these verses because they were so self-righteous and arrogant in their righteousness in Christ. Like those were in Corinth, where some said, I am of Paul, I am of Cephas, I am of Apollos. Well, I am of Christ. No, they weren't. No, they weren't. Because if you're of Christ, then you're going to understand the value of your practical righteousness that you put on yourself every single day. The righteousness of Christ that we're clothed with is going to save you in the day of judgment when we stand before Almighty God. But that righteousness isn't going to help you today. The righteousness that's going to help you today and bring verse 19 upon you is your practical righteousness. And so David runs on for the next eight verses. The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness. Now, do you dislike those words? Do you think those words are arrogant? Do you think those words are haughty by a man who sinned? They are not arrogant. They are not haughty. They recognize the fact that God rewards the righteous. If the Psalms teach us anything, there is a reward for the righteous and there's a reward for the wicked. And you want to be on one side and you don't want to be on the other. And we choose every thought, every word, every deed, wherever we are, what side we're going to be on. And I want to help you. I want to help me. I want God to help all of us together make the right choices so that it can be said he delighted in us. We heard a prayer in the back room this morning that we might be like Job, where God would brag about Job and brag about Job to the devil. The devil knows more about what goes on in your home, heart, and words, and lips, and relationships than anyone else does. But God could brag to the devil about Job because God knew Job was such a righteous man. And that's practical righteousness. I've taught you the five phases. The legal phase belongs, guess what, in what column it belongs? It belongs in the legal column. Do you understand that? 
We don't slide it over into the practical column. It doesn't have anything to do with the practical column. The Holy Spirit is in us. The strength of Christ is with us. We can please God. If you don't think you can, you have a serious problem understanding salvation and keeping those phases separate. You wouldn't have a practical phase without an eternal phase and without a legal phase and without a vital phase. And you're not going to have a a final phase without those phases either. However, that fourth phase, with God's blessing, and he's already blessed you, he's regenerated you, he's given you his spirit, he's given you his word, he's given you this church, he's given you this opportunity, use it. He calls it giving you his grace, but you can receive his grace in vain. The minute you start sliding into the legal phase, you're going to become a fatalist. And I'm tired of debating with Calvinists about fatalism, that God has guaranteed by irresistible grace the conversion of his elect and the perseverance of the saints. And I've had to do it recently, and I'm sick of it. We're not fatalists. We want to be very practical about this obedience that we can give the Lord each day, lest we fall back on some fatalistic assumption that there's a foundation of legal grace over us, around us, in us. No! What are you going to do today in your righteousness? The Lord rewarded me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands, and that's not the washing of Christ's blood. That's David's efforts. I have kept the ways of the Lord. I kept them. Not Jesus keeping them. I kept the ways of the Lord and have not wickedly departed from my God. For all his judgments were before me. I kept them in front of me. I did not put away his statutes. I was also upright before him. I kept myself from mine iniquity. I fought. The Apostle Paul said, and we heard it on Wednesday evening from a testimony from a brother, I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I have finished my course. Jesus didn't do those things for Paul. Paul did them through the strength of Christ. And if he'd have laid down on the job like most Christians, they wouldn't have gotten done though the strength of Christ would have been available for those individuals as well. He said, I labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, with the grace of God that was with me, but I put that grace to work. We want to put it to work. Enough of my explanation, because I don't like even having to do that. I don't understand why I have to do it. I do not understand why the confusion toward fatalism of trusting Christ's finished legal work as some excuse for you not to be putting forth your effort practically. We've heard this kind of stuff in this church before, and I hope we don't hear it again. I want you to look at verse 19 and embrace it. He brought me forth also into a large place, and there's a reason why. He delivered me from my enemies because there's a reason why, and here's the reason. Because he delighted in me. I gave him reason to delight in me. Do you know what we often do? We give him reason to be disappointed in us. Lord, forgive us for ever disappointing you. Let us pray. Almighty God, our Father in heaven, we know that our righteousnesses in legal respects, in terms of your holiness, are but filthy rags. Yet, we are not going to use that as an excuse that we shouldn't be righteous practically and that we shouldn't put forth effort and that we should be ashamed 
to say that we're righteous. We shouldn't be ashamed. We should be greatly desirous and confident, O Lord, that through the strength of the Holy Spirit and by the Word of God and by the church and by the counselors you've given us and by the grace you've bestowed upon us, we are able to be righteous in your sight. We thank thee for the privilege. We thank you for the opportunity. We thank you for the challenge. We thank you for setting the bar for us and giving us examples like Job, who was righteous and perfect and eschewed evil in your sight, and you boasted about him to the devil. Heavenly Father, help us. Forgive us where we have disappointed you. Forgive us where we have despised your word by sinning against it. Forgive us where we have not been diligent in keeping your commandments. O Lord, we want to delight in thee that thou might delight in us. Help us to this end. You have delivered us into a large place. We are thankful for the large amount of truth. We are thankful for the large amount of grace. We are thankful for the large amount of words in the King James Bible that you've given us. We're thankful for our large congregation that you have enlarged. We thank you for our families and the converted members among them. We thank you that you've brought us into a large place. We thank you that you've delivered us from our enemies. And, O Lord, if we pause and reflect about those times we were fearful of things natural, of things spiritual, of false brethren, of hateful enemies outside our church, you have delivered us, and we thank thee for that. You have taken strange children out from our number and out of these doors, and we praise you for it. And we can see that you have delighted in us. But, O Lord, we want more. Heavenly Father, we want more. Lord, there are giants in our lives. And we pray that you will give us strength by your spirit and your word, that we will rise and run toward them and slay them and cut off their ugly heads. Lord, that we might destroy those giants that intimidate us, threaten us, try to overwhelm us, the presumptuous sins that try to take us captive. Oh, Heavenly Father, have mercy upon us. Bless us to be like David. We want a heart after your heart. We want a heart that pleases thee. Help us to examine ourselves and to see those areas that we might be accustomed to by habit, those areas that we might protect by delight in them, those areas that easily beset us, that we might rise up against them and slay them. Father in heaven, we thank thee for the son of David. Not only did you delight in him, this was your beloved son in whom you were well pleased. And we thank thee for him. And we thank thee that in your great plan of grace, you are going to conform us to the image of that son and not David. We thank thee for the hope of glorification to be in your presence, made a brother of the Lord Jesus Christ. Bless us this day that we will progress and advance and increase and go from glory to glory, even by the Spirit of our God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this privilege. You have adopted us, chosen us, trained us, blessed us, led us, motivated us, encouraged us, promised to reward us. Now lead us, Heavenly Father. Make us to go in the way of your commandments. Put a hedge about us. Keep us from the congregation of the foolish and the congregation of the dead. Lord, go with us. Everything that we pray for ourselves, 
As we have prayed earlier this morning, we pray for every congregation of saints around the world and for every minister of theirs. Stir them up, Heavenly Father. Bless them with the blessing that we are asking for ourselves. We thank you for America and our rulers and pray your blessing on them. We thank you for every daily provision of our needs and we bless thee for it. We thank thee for the forgiveness of sins and we confess our sins to thee. We thank thee for the word of God. Open our eyes that we might behold wondrous things from its pages and bless us now by your grace that with great fervency in our hearts, alertness in our minds, we will give thee the best that we have through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.